0: Hello, welcome to The Mag Life, episode number 166. I'm Daniel Shaw. I'm here with Varg Freeborn. How you doing, Varg? Pretty good. Pretty good. How about you? Can't complain. Doing all right. Got a good topic this morning for everybody out there. Something I discussed a couple of years ago briefly, but I've changed a couple of things about it, so it's a, I think it's a good time to revisit it. It kind of leads into some things we've talked about recently as far as observation and awareness type stuff. And that is the immediate post-engagement scan. People out there on the internet, you know, watch YouTube videos, Instagram, that kind of stuff. They probably see that guy or girl on the screen looking around after they shoot drills or or shoot a gun or do something. Uh, There's a lot of different ways people do this post-engagement scan, search and assess, whatever you want to call it. I usually refer to it as a post-engagement scan. But I have a bit of a system for it rather than just doing some range theatrics and looking around right after. We'll jump into that. Vark, whenever you think post-engagement scan or whatever terminology you use for it, what are you thinking about?
1: I'm thinking about it being just one option and many possibilities of tasks that you may have to do immediately post-engagement.
0: And that's kind of what my system's about is how do I find those tasks and how do I prioritize them? The first
1: rule for me is that you do the highest priority job that needs done. If you had a choice between... Evacuating your small child from what was just a shooting scene. And now you maybe have someone there, you know, who's been shot and maybe more danger still to come and you're not sure. Standing around and scanning rather than evacuating that child would probably be a poor choice. So maybe prioritizing by getting the person that you care about out of danger while you're scanning on the way out. I just try not to be dogmatic about this is what you do every time you pull a trigger, you do this exact procedure. It's more about trying to find what the environment is telling me and what the highest priority need is going to be. And the first one's going to be safety. And then after that we look at, do we need to
0: fight more? You know, if I'm teaching a class, I explain this and try to have them visualize. Cause if we're not visualizing fighting and training, we're mostly just punching holes in paper is, this biggest threat, this threat that I had to use my firearm, I had to shoot, I had to stop this threat. Does it need more bullets? Is it over? Can I stop shooting right now, at least enough to to evacuate myself and my child? Is it safe to do that now? Does he need more bullets? And the next thing that I think about, I borrow this from from something I did many years ago in the Marine Corps, you know, close quarters type stuff. Is there anything else here that can hurt me? There could be a law enforcement officer has somebody pulled over on the side of the road and they find themselves after this fight standing in the middle of the freeway. Your next thing should not be looking around more. You should be, as soon as you identify that you're standing in the middle of the freeway, get out of the middle of the freeway because there's cars coming at 75 miles an hour. Probably not a great place for you to be. So the old idea here is, is just to be thinking, not just running a drill on the range. You know, It's a system of things that we should be concerned about. That is one thing that I do talk about is there's this idea that you should not leave the scene for some reason and where it came from, I don't know. If that scene is dangerous mm-hmm. for you, your loved one, whatever else, when you find that there are things there that can hurt you and they're not maybe willing or able to hurt you just yet, but it's coming soon and you can remove yourself from that and then contact emergency services shortly thereafter or in the process, that might be the right move to make, right? Not just standing there looking around. You're not stuck there and forced to deal with whatever's happening right there. You can leave.
1: Absolutely. You know, going back to the beginning, if we look at it from the beginning, kind of how I break it down for students is off the tail end of taking your shots, right? So you've engaged, you've pressed the trigger, and you fired rounds into another human being. While the gun is up, still on target, you're checking your work through your sights and then making sure that that individual has stopped the behavior that caused you to commit lethal force in the first place. And what I like to tell people is that, if it was important enough to shoot, it's important enough to make sure it's shot, right? And then from there, your tasks become, they're prioritized by the environment, right? And so you can't have a simple procedure that you train yourself to just scan side to side every time you take a shot and think that that's going to be the thing that, that saves your life. The point of having uh, the officer in a post-fight end up out in the middle of a interstate That's an excellent point. You don't want to stand there scanning around. You got cars doing 75, 80 miles an hour barreling at you. That kind of thing right there is just addressing the problem that you're dealing with first and then looking for what are the highest threats to my safety and then what are my avenues of dealing with it. And then you have multiple options. So I like to train a lot of somebody wants to train scans. I'm okay with it. I just encourage students not to do it every single time they shoot. You know, try to find different things to think about, at least to think about. Another problem that I've seen, and this is one of the big pet peeves I have, and I wrote about this in Violence of Mind, is the training to scan to look at nothing. I know people, you know, they say they don't do this, but you go to an indoor shooting range and you got these black ballistic walls that are 18 inches on each side of your head, and you're spinning your head looking at those walls. You're essentially training yourself to look at nothing because you know there's nothing there. It's a a black wall 18 inches from your head. And I don't support that type of training. I don't think it's conducive to creating the type of awareness that allows you to prioritize the tasks when you look at the environment.
0: No, I totally agree. That's why I I push the idea of training the mindset, the way of thinking in that immediate post engagement. I don't care what you do with your head. I don't care how you look around. That doesn't matter. And like you said, looking right and left and going slow or whatever that we see all the time on the internet, you know, you've done a lot of force on force and, uh, you know, I've done a lot of force on force. I've never once in my life seen in force on force training or a real fight, someone do an immediate post engagement scan, uh, look around in a calm manner, looking left and right Mm -mm. controlled. No, it's super rapid. Yeah, it's very rapid. It's jerky. It's all over the place. Us predators with forward-facing eyes, you know, we're not like rabbits that have the eyes on the side of our head. We see 360 degrees around us. We want to see everything right now because we're feeling like prey. We're feeling very vulnerable, and we're trying to take in all this information. It's very rapid. It's very jerky. The body's moving with the head. There's a lot of footwork happening right there. The people end up in positions that they didn't mean to end up in. It's very spastic would be a good word that I would use to describe it.
1: Yes. Yes. And you see it a lot. And I conduct force on force classes and, you know, whether we're doing scenarios or even in the shoot house, it doesn't matter that the behavior is always the same. And so it's very rapid, very jerky, and you don't need that much time. You know, you don't need that much time. If you're in a fight and you're sharp, your senses are sharpened pretty acutely during an engagement of, of lethal force level. And so a quick look around, you could be scanning for other weapons and other you know, other threats, people moving in an abnormal way. You expect people to be running and dashing around and you split your head sideways real quick and you catch someone moving towards you purposefully. That's the kind of stuff that you can see quickly.
0: So that's your next cue.
1: And so that might be your next cue or you might see a, an open doorway, six steps to your right. You're looking for that next cue and you're not looking to like examine and analyze and, and just break down every single thing you see. You're looking for cues that's going to tell you what the next prioritized task is
0: yeah there's no time for that to look at everything and and break down and, and totally analyze it's something that a lot of the close protection and personal security detail guys talk about observe everything but see nothing kind of thing where i'm trying to take in all this information but i'm not really looking and processing every little thing because as i do that i'm missing five other things that are happening right now they explain it a bit better than than i did just then in that thought process I also add in, because I I see it. Absolutely. I I see it in dash cam video. I see it in cell phone footage. I see it in in closed circuit TV. I see it all the time where someone doesn't know what to do. They're standing in a vulnerable spot. They're not in a great location. They just had to shoot somebody and they're looking for the next thing to do. And they can't quite figure it out because they're not receiving any cues. That's why whenever I get to my third piece of that thought process, is am I standing in the most survivable location? Am I in the right spot? So just things to think about. And if you find you're in the middle of the freeway, no, you're not in the right spot. You're in the middle of a parking garage and cars are flying around the corner in the parking garage, you're not in the right spot. If there's people that are a threat to you and you have cover available that you could put between them and you, or at least a barrier so they can't get to you right away, then you're not in the right spot. If you got your kid there and there's an angry crowd around because you just shot their friend, then no, you're not in the right spot. You need to bounce. These are all considerations.
1: Absolutely. I agree with that. That's the thing that when I talk to students about getting into a fight and getting that mindset part of it down, one of the important things that I addresses that among some other things is when I say you need to stop looking for things and start looking at things. There's a huge difference there. And you see this first most obviously when you're doing like shoot house or any type of room clearing where you, have someone has to go through a door into a room that they don't know what's there And a lot of times they're expecting to see something there So they're looking for a bad guy with a gun or they're looking for This thing that they have this pre this predetermined image in their head. Yep And when you get through the door if that's not what you encounter Your brain has to loop all the way back now and start trying to refigure out what you're looking at And the trip back to that square one would be a lot shorter and quicker if you didn't have an expectation already set going into the room. So you go into the room with an open mind and you're looking at what's in front of you, not looking for something. And then you see something, you're like, wait, that's not what I was looking for. You've already spent that amount of time trying to process that this isn't what I thought I was going to see. Now I got to go back and what am I looking at? Where if you just go in and look at the thing. And so the same thing works with the post engagement. Don't be looking for things. Just look at things. That's it. Just look at things and, Take it for what it is in the moment and act on it.
0: Tell me about how looking for things in a shoot house results into shooting no shoot targets. Oh, that's the easy one. You know,
1: they're looking for someone with a gun, they turn a corner, or somebody with a cell phone.
0: Somebody with a cell phone, somebody with a badge, you know, just looking for that thing results in those no shoot targets getting shot on a regular basis. Yep. You know, I do shoot house scenarios. And I'll use the
1: house for civilian type setups where I'll put an active shooter into what would be a bank. And so you got somebody in there talking to the banker about a mortgage and you got a couple of people working in there and then someone active shooter comes in looking for their, their estranged wife or whatever. And one of the scenarios I'll run is I'll send in a second shooter, whether he's going to be a CCW guy, like just an average CCW guy trying to help. And he's not doing it quite properly, which is fully expected. And then you've got officers responding, right? I'll use real police in those roles so that they get some reps getting that time in. And then I'll have civilians in there who just got into an engagement with an active shooter. And now you got a gun coming around the corner on you. And it's either gonna be a second bad guy, a second good guy, or a law enforcement officer. And if you're looking for just a gun, all three of those guys are gonna get shot.
0: I agree with what you're saying and uh, the idea of this, but if your training is not built in a way, and, and talking about somebody out there who's taking some training, it's not built in a way that trains this mindset, trains the things to look at, uh, trains the thought process. There's people that just seem to not recognize, like, holy crap, why is this guy not doing this thing? How is he missing this huge thing that's about to kill him? We see these kind of things in, in videos and such, and it's tough to watch. Why are you acting this way? How are you How are you not observing this, or how did you miss this? And I don't know what it is. It's a lack of observation skills, not processing the information, not trained enough to recognize that this is a cue that, that you should be taking an action on, and then sometimes we'll see them taking action on a cue where they shouldn't be taking an action on. The shooting recently, I haven't got all the details, but seen a couple of videos, it looked like an officer shot an individual while he was putting his gun down. I don't know if you saw that one. I think it was in Arizona. Maybe there's some different angles available out there, but from what I've seen so far, I, I, I can't figure out why this officer pulled the trigger at that moment. He was responding from some other cue, something that you know he was looking for something, or he developed something in his own mind, or there was some level of an accidental or negligent discharge there. I, I'm not totally sure, but from what I've seen so far, I'm really having a hard time justifying what happened.
1: Yeah. And it's hard to go in and talk about situations like that after the fact from a video, of course, because we can't see all those angles. But
0: a video that also doesn't have the full view spectrum of the officer. Yes,
1: either. exactly. And so that kind of stuff is, uh, you know, we, we try to learn what we can from that. But I agree, having saw that same video, I think it was pretty clear the guy didn't understand how can I put my gun down without getting shot. And so he, he hid the gun behind his body instinctively, intuitively, thinking that if I'm not presenting it to them, then it's not going to be that big of a problem, right? I think that that officer may have interpreted that hiding the gun behind the body as I can't see the gun. I don't know what you're going to do with it now. And so that kind of thing, I think that's probably my first guess. of what happened there, the looking for things and, and looking at things, the two differences, it's going to create situations like that. So if you're looking for someone to do something, yeah, if they even make a move that's similar to what you're expecting, you're going to respond and having trained yourself with a mindset, You know, I work so hard in my classes just to push mindset. It's very difficult to do, but it is possible. When people would say you can't learn fighting on a square range, I have no idea what they're talking about. You can learn a lot about fighting sitting in a classroom. You can learn a lot about fighting sitting in front of someone who's been in a lot of fights that can relay information to you.
0: You can learn a lot. You can't learn everything in one setting, but you can learn a lot. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So you
1: mix that with the force on force work and going in and testing it out and testing yourself out and things like that. You get some classroom time, you get some square range time. But if all you're doing is going to square range and doing fast draws and working on your draw stroke and that kind of stuff, it's great. Putting a lot of rounds down range, it's awesome. You can shoot great. But the mindset component can't be skipped. Unfortunately, most classes just don't deliver a mindset component because the flashy shooting part is the most popular part of the industry. and it's the most fun. And that's what people, you leave a class like that and you're like, man, I shaved a whole 0.8 seconds off of my draw stroke. And, you know, with a first shot hit at seven yards and I'm super excited. And now I'm getting fast and I'm kind of like a gunfighter now. And really gunfighting is like 10 or 20% shooting and 80 or 90% thinking.
0: Yeah. And, and here's kind of the kicker, you know, my little thought processes that I presented, this isn't just immediate post-engagement right when it's over. It's, I'm standing here in this location, I had to draw my firearm, I'm shooting at this individual, hopefully I'm getting the hits that I need to get to stop this person. And it goes back to what we talked about in the previous episode about weapons handling and safety and crowds and keying off your environment and choosing the right positions. This observation, this mindset, things that exist out there that we need to respond to, visual or maybe even auditory cues, are present in the middle of that shooting incident, whatever's going on. I'm standing in this location shooting. Now I can no longer shoot from here because of what's happening in the background or in the foreground. I have to make some kind of movement, move to there's cover available. Now I'm going to use that. It's training and thinking on the range at a level to where we recognize these things, recognize our assets, recognize what our vulnerabilities are, and figure out a way to mitigate those vulnerabilities and, you know, increase our assets.
1: Absolutely. And that That can be trained on the square range to a great extent, actually. I think you can do a lot with mindset and awareness and understanding how to actually look at your environment and process it and make the best decision in the moment. I think those things are totally possible. It matters how you conduct your training. And, of course, it comes down to anything else. You get what you put into it. And so if you go there just invested in, I want to get faster and I want to shoot better – That's all you're going to get if you're lucky or you get your mind opened up by a good instructor that says, Hey, look, the decisions are going to come at you so fast. And sometimes you're going to have choices between great decisions, good decisions. And sometimes it's going to be between two bad decisions that you got to make. And that's just how it goes. And so you have to develop the mindset to be able to recognize these things and deal with that and deal with consciously making what would in other circumstances be a bad decision. And sometimes you have to do that. There's things that you have to do that are not going to be comfortable. They're not going to be on the face of it, isolated by themselves, make a whole lot of sense, but you have to be able to process those types of thoughts while you're in a super elevated condition, physiologically and psychologically. Preparing your mind to deal with that has to be a combination of a lot of mindset talk, a lot of mindset and awareness work and uh, the force-on-force work to kind of cement it in and test it out.
0: One of the things that I do on the range is toward the end of kind of my second day of my handgun class, it's really an eye-opener for a lot of folks. These targets are stationary. They're not even moving, but I'll have about 20 of them out there on the range and some still targets along the back at a little bit more difficult shots. But I'll have these staggered all over the place, crowded in some ways, a little bit of room between them in some other ways, and they'll have numbers and shapes on them we've already worked through a lot of mindset stuff, a lot of communication stuff, a lot of good guy talk when the gun's out in a public environment type things. And I'll call a number or I'll say what that number's doing and they'll choose whether they're going to give commands or they're going to shoot that target. At the same time, they're going to have to move and get online with another target, clear a foreground, clear a background, do something. And it's a lot of work for about 10 minutes. And They're already at a a heightened state of physiological stress because I usually make them sprint a little distance before they come start this thing. And it goes on for quite a while. I mean, every once in a while, there's somebody that was just like, wow, they just freaking killed that drill. It's usually a very big eye-opener for a lot of folks about how many times they didn't even recognize that there was a target right behind that target and they didn't clear a foreground or a background, didn't make the right movement, moved to a really stupid position when they could have moved to a much more advantageous position. So there's a lot of little things that happen there that is really, yeah, you're shooting guns, but it's really just training thinking and problem solving and mindset.
1: And you shock a lot of people because they, they actually become shocked by their own behavior. They don't expect themselves to respond the way they did. And then they do. Mm -hmm. And they're like, wow, I really honestly thought that I was going to be able to control that. I thought I had that figured out and I was not even anywhere close to having that figured out. And I do a similar drill. I don't do the the multiple target drill like you have set up, but I do one where I have, I'll have i take a barricade or a couple of barrels and I'll set up a target scheme behind that. And I'll have the student work their way through some shots and obstacles on their way to that corner. And when they turn that corner, they're going to have to deal with whatever's there. And then we'll have a predetermined set of guidelines. There's an active shooter with a black t-shirt in there or something, you know, and, and they'll have this in their mind. We'll plant this image in their mind. Based on a surveillance video I watched once where... A guy was robbing a gas station and got surprised by a cop, and he took some uh, of the people hostage. He had the hostages actually behind him, and he was covering the corner, so he had his back turned to the hostages. And this is very common. This is it's really easy to happen. A lot of people are not going to fight even if a guy turns his back. Like you got a couple of scared, you know, older women or something like that. They're not necessarily going to hit him over his head with something. So it's very possible to have this situation come up. You've got active shooter in the school or anything. You could very easily turn a corner and there's a guy and he's getting ready to engage you, but there are people in the background of him. Yep. If you cut the corner, if you navigate the corner properly the way that we cover in the class, you will get the shot on the guy and it will be clean. But if you over penetrate even a little bit, you will have no shot and he'll have a clean shot on you. What happens is, you get a couple of responses. One, you get people that just go gun ho over-penetrate, and they either get frozen because they're like, oh, this is bad. Yeah, I made a mistake. Now I'm hanging out here in the wind, and I've got nothing to do, and now I'm frozen. Or they'll over-penetrate, shoot the guy, and shoot the hostages right through him. Sometimes even miss him, go over his shoulder, and just hit the hostage in the chest. Or you get the person that doesn't go after it deep enough, and then they play around until their angle is just way exposed and they still didn't get the shot. So you have to penetrate the corner properly and you have to work the problem properly. And the big difference between doing it properly and doing it improperly is looking at what's coming around the corner versus looking for what's coming around the corner. If you go in there looking for something, you're gonna find it, but it's not gonna be the way you thought it would be. So your plan to deal with it is not going to apply properly. Does that make sense?
0: That totally makes sense. And you know, plans, rarely work out when they meet contact. That's an old saying that is definitely true. I see them freeze in class often doing some drills like that as well. I think that's why it's so important to, you know, not only the mindset, but problem solving. You're going to run into problems. That's okay. It's going to happen. Everything is not going to work out perfect. Obviously if you had to draw your firearm in a public environment, things are not working out perfect that day. That's why we train for this. And when we do run into a problem, we don't freeze right then. We have trained enough and trained to a level and trained our minds that we immediately switch to problem solving and not focusing on problems and freezing right there. There is some tool somewhere, maybe your brain takes fast path or flow path, but it's going to retrieve the appropriate action because we've encountered this before. This isn't the first time. We did this on training on the square range. We did this in force on force. We've seen this before. Maybe not the exact same thing, but I have a way to handle this, and doing nothing is almost always the wrong thing to do. So, let me ask you while uh, we're on this topic here. You've been in some fights.
1: You've been in some engagements. You did you did your tours and you you did some things with weapons and, you know, had some engagements. I have had some pretty pretty deep experiences with violence myself numerous times. And so After a while or after numerous events, I think you begin to develop, if you've got what it takes, you begin to develop this ability to rapidly adapt to the situation. So what happens is as the situation begins to unfold into chaos or into a more hostile event, you adapt to that, you bring yourself in on your mindset to where you're able to just do your job, whatever your job is there, you do in the work, right? And so that could be taking in all this information at this super rapid rate, right? Get all this stuff happening. People run in, things are moving. There's bullets flying. Like is you might die. All this crazy stuff is happening and your ability to take that in and process it improves over time. Very often. In my case, it did. I became more comfortable in hostile situations. And I don't know if you found that to be true, but I'd be interested to hear about that as well as, taking these lessons of that adaptability and mindset so that we can do these tasks that we're talking about and how you convey that to the uninitiated that are, you know, trying to learn this and prepare for that day.
0: Yeah. And you know, taking my experience and looking at training, it's good to build a good foundation out there on the square range and cover as much as you can, but it's also good to do force on force. And you can start out with force on force and really get a really strong baseline of where you're at and learn a lot of things that you need to be working on in the square range. I found the closest thing as far as problems hitting you, chaos, dealing with stress, making decisions, everything else around you, it's kind of like what the Japanese call mushin, you know, without thought. I'm not really thinking about all these little small things because I have spent many hours of my life already thinking about all those small things, doing those on the square range, doing those in force on force training. I've subjected myself to a wide variety of these problems that come at you fast and they just keep coming. I'm just applying solutions. It can get to the point where it's almost a flow state, or it could even be in a flow state. I experienced a lot of fear knowing that I was driving up to my first real firefight and in the back of an AAV. I wrote a little short story, little creative nonfiction about it, about what was going through my mind mentally. I was also the senior enlisted person in this vehicle, so everybody was looking to me for guidance, and I moved up to the back of the ramp where the ramp was going to come down, so I'd be the first one off. And, uh, you know, I was expecting to die as soon as I walked outside. I was expecting to get shot. You know, everybody had this big green vehicle rolled up, and people are getting out of the back. Let's start shooting at the back. So I expected to not make it off of this vehicle. But I, I called my, my little short story the first step. But I took the first step, and then it seemed like after that, not only that fight, but even the rest of that day, which was a pretty hairy battle on March twenty third, 2003, in the city of An Anasri in Iraq, where I never again felt that level of fear for myself again. And that kind of opened up a lot of my mental bandwidth to really recall training. And I say recall training because I can give multiple examples to where I was in the middle of something serious going down, life and death, in a fight, and I recalled training. I recalled a PowerPoint presentation at one point in a dark, moldy room with some force recon dude with a big belly and a flight suit on teaching me a class about combat stress. I recalled something about tunnel vision. I recalled all kinds of training things, just thinking back as my mind is just racing a thousand miles an hour, but these were all solutions to problems that I was encountering. And I believe that somebody can listen to a podcast and recall that in the middle of a fight and maybe in a way that makes them take an action that saves their life or saves somebody else's life. The power of training and recalling it and without thinking about it or with thinking about it is a freaking real thing. It exists because I've experienced it multiple times.
1: Absolutely. And that I base my classes on that very thing that I talk about so many mindset concepts in a class. And the reason I do it is because it needs to be hammered in because you never know what's going to stick and what you're going to recall someday. But I know it does work that way. I did a class in Connecticut teaching EMS, how to deal with combative patients. EMS are probably the most compassionate nonviolent group of people i've ever worked with in my life i had to adjust myself to these people's compassion because i'm so not used to that level of compassion in a classroom and so <laughs> dealing with that i gave them some tools to work with and i hammered home mindset and then it was like probably six months later i get a an email from a female that was in that class she was a little 100 pound female that didn't have any fight skills or anything and i covered mindset and I covered some techniques to use to force multipliers to fight inside of an ambulance in the back. If you get a a very violent combative patient that starts to want to hurt the EMS, which is a growing problem now. And so she sends me this email and says, you saved my life because I had a guy go bad on me in the back of the ambulance and where I would have panicked before because he was a large guy, he was strong. I used the technique of pulling him back, taking his posture and dropping the stretcher that bought me enough time to get my partner to get us on the side of the road and get us out of the vehicle before he could unstrap. The straps are very easy to defeat on a stretcher. Like you just reach over and push a button and it basically just fall off. You know, for a person to come up out of that is very quick. And so you don't have much time. So we were working on ways to deal with that. And she writes me this email and says, this guy probably would have beat me half to death or killed me and you never know because he ended up fighting the cops and you know, it was a pretty terrible fight. And so the guy was incredibly violent, and it saved her life because she remembered something she had in one class Yep. at that moment. She remembered that thing, and that thing was what it what it took to save her that day.
0: Yep, absolutely. Guys, that was episode number 166 of the MagLife podcast. Thanks for joining us. Join the discussion at the MagLife blog. Uh, that's at gunmagwarehouse.com forward slash podcast. You can see them out there in all of our episodes. If you dig it, if you got any questions, anything else, send us a, a message, and uh, we'd love to cover your topic or whatever question that you have in the future. And until then, thanks for listening. The Mag Life out.